I want to continue talking on the goodness of God, but um, to take it from a story in the Old Testament that I think puts a lot of things together. It's in Second Kings and chapter 4. Let me read it to you. Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that your servant feared the Lord. The creditor has now come to take my two children to be his slaves. Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels, and don't get just a few. You shall go in, shut the door behind you and your sons, and pour out into all these vessels, and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him, shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her, and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. He said to her, there is not one vessel more. And the oil stopped. Then she came, told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. That's it. Simple story right there in the middle of the Old Testament. But it brings us, as I say, to see the simplicity of the goodness of God when you're at the end of your rope. Um, this story took place in Israel. Now, at this point in time, Israel was the name given to the 10 northern tribes, and Judah were the southern tribe. And, and those northern tribes, they had turned to Baal and worshipped Baal. And if you were with us a few weeks ago when we studied Hosea, you'll know a lot about Baal. Baal was the demon god that um, it was laced into the ideas of prosperity, success. Um, Baal would make you rich. Baal would give you all of the things that you needed and wanted. Baal, Baal would help you. And um, woven into that, as right forefront, what was the demon god what was sexual. In fact, it was perverted sex to the max. And so weave the two together, this demonic sexuality mixed with materialism and greed and want uh, of land and stuff. That's, they worshipped that demon god who promised to give it to them. Um, I won't say that that's like America today, but I could have. I could have, but I didn't say it. But um, the, the, And so the, the people had held, been in the hold of Baal until Elijah. Now, that we're talking about Elisha, but Elijah, who was before Elisha, he broke the power of Baal over Israel. And that's another whole story that took place um, when fire came from heaven and onto the altar that Elijah built. 
but just to say, when Elisha comes, that the real grip of Baal upon Israel had been broken, but still, if you were a worshiper of the true God, you were persecuted, ostracized, and people wouldn't even deal with you in terms of their um, goods. And, and so the, these people here, she says that her husband who had died was um, one of the sons of the prophet. That Elisha had something akin to a Bible school, but it was also a covenant village where in that community the people still worshipped the one true God, and they learned from Elisha, and they learned how to hear the Spirit speak to them. And so it was called the Sons of the Prophets. And they were usually out in the sort of away from the towns. And this lady, I don't know who she was. That's a good start. She's an anonymous woman. She's an anonymous peasant woman out there in some place, in the wilderness of the northern kingdom. And um, now she's in a precarious position. It's very hard to get into the head of a woman in the Old Testament, because unless you were married, you had no hope really of holding your life together. Um, you, You had to be joined to a man in one way or another in order to have money and in order to have food on the table and a roof over your head. But it was more than that. You, When you got married in the Old Testament, it was not between two people. It was between two families. And therefore, if your husband died, the family of your husband would look after you. That was understood, except in this case. It wasn't so. She's out there on her own, and in all probability, her husband's family had been Baal worshippers, and they'd already thrown their son out for being one of the sons of Elisha uh, prophets. Um, And so now the woman is on her own. The family is not going to take care of her. And, of course, in, in those days, a working woman was absolutely unheard of, unthought of, women didn't work. They stayed at home and they did what they did, but they didn't go to work. And here, this woman now, suddenly a widow, she's got nowhere to turn. Well, because in other circumstances, the, the whole village tithed three tithes. I laugh when people say they tithe and give one-tenth. In the Old Testament, it was three-tenths. And on top of the three, there there was what they called the Feast of the First Fruits, so that every first vegetable, every first lettuce, every first spaghetti, everything, that went to the Lord. And and much of that went to the poor. Uh, If you go through the Old Testament, you see the number of times The Lord says, you look after the widow, you look after the orphan, you look after the stranger that has come among you and has got no friends. It is over and over and over again. The the passion of God in the Old Testament to care for the needy, to care, I say again, for the widow. There's no one to look after her. The orphan, there's no one to look after her. The stranger that's come among you, he doesn't know anybody. 
And it says, as a people, you ought to put your arms around them and care. And a lot of that care was in that third tithe. You took the third tithe out of your money for the poor. And and if you were a rancher who had um, things growing in your, your land, the wheat, the barley, you were not allowed to cut the edges of the field. It was left for the poor. They would go and that was theirs. And they followed after the reapers. And if any reaper was clumsy and dropped what he was carrying, he couldn't pick it up. That was left there for the poor. But not in a Baal society. Baal could care less about the poor. And so here she is. There's no family to look after her. There is no village there that is going to bother with her. She's left with God who she knows deeply cares for the helpless. Um, Well, that's one thing. But then when her husband died, she found that he had this enormous debt. Apparently she didn't know about it. Uh, And now the debtors are coming, they're foreclosing, and they want their money. Well, in those days, it was legal that if you can't pay your debt, Your children, number one, or you, if necessary, will become, and the word in the Bible is slave of the person that loans you the money. It's a bad word because you were not in chains. He cared for you, looked after you, lived in the house. You would not have any salary, but you would work for the man until you'd paid off the debt. And, well... This creditor is already he's already appeared. That's apparently how she knew about it. Uh, and she said, the creditor's come. He's going to take my two boys, and they're going to become his slaves until this is paid off. She, she's in a dreadful situation. Um, she's without any visible support. She is facing near starvation up ahead. She's going to be homeless Her sons will be debtors' slaves, and she's in a society that is controlled by the demonic god Baal. Not much hope there. And if you want to get inside her skin, then feel the cold sweats that she wakes up in at night. The the if if only we hadn't if only I hadn't known about this, if if only this hadn't happened. But, but it's happened. My husband's gone, and, and they're now beating the door down to pay the debt. The nightmare she must have had. And written right into her is, I am not. I'm not able. I'm helpless. I don't have. I won't have. It's all negative. A future that, that is dominating her imagination like some monster in the night that she's hopeless. She faces the future with a sickening dread and into the darkness and impending death. If you can get inside the head of a lady in that society. Well, her husband had been part of Elisha's school of the prophets. As I said, it was a community. So she would have lived in some kind of community And that community would live by God's law, which would include the tithing. It would include the care for the helpless and so on. And so she's going to go to Elisha because he's the covenant father of that household of faith. And she's going to find out what he can do. 
she seems to have that much understanding of the covenant that God had given himself to her to care and look after her. That much she seems to know, seems to. But it's with a flickering faith. There's no, no specific here. She comes to Elisha. He was her husband's mentor, and he's the father of the community of faith, and so I'm coming to you. She, she comes to Elisha almost as if she believes in Elisha's faith more than her own. She's coming. And Elisha says, what do you want me to do? Now, if you've been here the last few weeks, um, that the more it seems now to overshadow the Scripture. This is Old Testament. We heard what Jesus said to Bartimaeus in the New Testament. What do you want? I, I really want you to get this, and it's very difficult to get this because we have been raised in a very different kind of society. We've been raised with a God who does what he jolly well wants, and you are unimportant. He's the sovereign God who kicks you to the roadside because his great will has got to be done, and um, you don't have a say in it. And if you dare open your mouth, you've got to make sure you've hedged it all around with what I've just said doesn't count, only if it be your will, if it be your will. Do what you want. Do what you want. You're a God I don't know. You're remote. You don't care about me. Do what you want. And I think I'm being spiritual. And here we come to the scripture, and it doesn't make sense to us that God says, and here in the Old Testament too, what do you want me to do for you? God is not supposed to say that. He's to tell you what he's going to do for you, like it or not. What do you want me to do for you? I don't want to repeat what I said two or three weeks ago, but it comes, you, you've got to face this. She's got to be specific. So you came to me, dear lady, but what do you want? You've told me your husband died. You told me your being smashed by the creditors, uh, you got no food. Uh, it was all very valid, but what do you want? And again, you have the feeling, doesn't it like, isn't it obvious what she wants? There's nothing obvious in this. There, there's a point, um, we were talking about it a few weeks ago with, with um, Andrew and Marshall, and if you follow this thought through, that God knows everything, God knows what I want, God knows what I ought to want, and so he's going to do it. Then why? I don't have to do anything. Why talk? Why pray? Why Why anything? Because God just knows, and God's going to do what he jolly well wants. So, so what? Just do nothing. That's the point, you see. That, that's the paganism that invaded the church and has never been washed out. Because God isn't. That's not God. Would, would you understand me if the God who knows everything about you chooses not to know so you can tell him? He draws you into relationship that boggles the mind. God says to you as to this woman through Elisha, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, are you asking for money to pay off the debt? Are you saying that the community should take responsibility for you? Or are you asking for a miracle? I mean, what do you want? 
and, and I can see it in your eyes. You, you say, well, you know, I'm unworthy. I, what, what do I tell God what I want? Let God do what he knows is best. He doesn't want to do what he knows is best. He wants to do what you want. It's amazing. <laughs> now, now, Elisha had no money. Um, that that's, comes over clearly. But he knew the blessings of the covenant that were made in the Old Testament to the people of God. Have you ever read them? Uh, they're, they're incredible. Make your hair stand on end. In Deuteronomy 28, let me just quickly speed read it to you. He says, all these blessings will come, listen, come upon you and overtake you as if there, there's a whole horde of them galloping after you and they're breathing down your neck. And he's saying that they're going to come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Then he says it. Bless shall you be in the city. So all you've got to do is walk outside, and he says, in the city there will be blessing. And blessing is a word that um, maybe could be explained as, as a sort of bubble suit. And you're inside this um, protection of God, supply of God. He's right there. You're stuck in him, um, blessed. And blessed shall you be in the country. And so whether you're in the city or in the country, you are in this embrace of God's love and blessing. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body. So that takes care of all your kids, the produce of your ground, everything you planted, the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herd, the young of your flock. It brings in the lambs. It brings in the calves, everything that you touch and own. When I, I used to do a lot of gardening when I lived in New York about 200 years ago, and I, I, would take, I would take this chapter and I would read it to my plants, and I'd tell them, get with it. This, this is old covenant. You should see the new. It's, yeah. And then he says, blessed shall be your basket. That means when you go to the store, your basket, you're going to be led in the store. And it's not that you look like some silly spiritual person with your eyes closed walking up to a produce counter. It means you'll just be yourself, not even thinking about anything else. And you will look back and say, I was led of the Lord. It was blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. That is blessed in your kitchen when you're preparing the food. Put that in mind, because part of that was a little bottle of oil that you had in the kitchen to hold that. Blessed shall you be when you come in. Blessed shall you be when you go out. So you came in, you're coming into blessing in your house. But as you leave, I'm going out into blessing. I, I live there. Lord, you'll cause your enemies to rise up against you, be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way, but flee from you seven ways. Then the Lord will command. So it says they're going to come upon you and overtake you, blessing. Now he says the Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and all that you put your hand to. He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. You can't move. You, you, you are in this 
network of blessing. God has committed himself there. In the old covenant, we're no longer under those blessings, by the way. Um, who, who needs those blessings when, when we are in blessings that infinitely go beyond that? Um, and I know for some of you that might be a shock. You couldn't think of anything beyond that. But th- this is dealing very much with our physical, our material it says God's committed to care for you at a physical, material, mental, emotional level. And other scriptures say especially widows and especially orphans and especially people who don't know where to turn. He, he, is, he said, I'll provide for you. I'll be your supply. I'll protect you. I'll watch over you. See, faith knows that God is good. Please, I've said that for three, four weeks now. Faith knows that. Faith doesn't keep repeating this in order to get it. Faith knows I have it. So you can just sit back and relax. Faith faith is the great relaxer because faith, faith there's never anxiety with faith. There's never repeating something till the sweat's running down your nose, saying, I've got to, got to, you know, God will bless me. God will bless me. No, no, no. That proves you don't know what you're talking about. Faith says, thank you. That this is what God has said, that God is good. He's faithful. He is with us, and he's made his promises, and he stand up to his promises. And so the prophet in the Old Testament was the word of God. That's how God spoke to people. Uh, in the New Testament, Jesus is the Word of God, and that's the end of it. But this lady has come to hear the Word of God. What, 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 what do I do? I, I want you to really get this, too, that in both Old and New Testament, we meet God who is up to his earlobes in our material and physical. Paganism has removed him and put him in some place we call heaven, and he's remote, separated, and certainly won't get his hands dirty in our physical, material, our daily work, work in the kitchen, in the field, in the office, in the factory. No, no, God's locked into Sunday. Now, now the rest of the week, it's up to me. But in the whole of the gospel, Old Testament leading up to the new, is that this is where I meet God. I meet him in the physical. I meet this God that we so often use the wrong word, spiritual. We meet the real God in the middle of the material life material needs, burdens. I I meet him in the physical, which includes my body. He's not confined to some ghostly presence. Uh, He's not disconnected, separated. He's not in a spiritual realm. He is where I am. He's in the middle of all my problems with people. He's in the middle of all the events of my life. He's in the middle of all my dead-end alleyways. It's in those dark alleys and dark times that we meet with the real God. His light is in the middle of our darkness. That's where you meet God. This is where this lady is meeting God. 
And Elisha knows that. I said, the woman is, she doesn't, she's not altogether there yet, but Elisha knows it. He knows as he looks at that woman with all her problems, he can assume, he can take it for granted that God of covenant will keep every word of his covenant without any arm twisting. There's a sense, you see. God has made covenant and by his own choice can't get out of it. God says, I will bless you. And if I don't, I, uh, there'll be no God. It's, it's on life and death. God will keep his word. God is love, and therefore he's pro-life in every sense of that. He's pro-liberty. He never wills your starvation. He never wills any kind of bondage. God is good. God is kind. Spirit, mind, emotions, body, possessions, work. He fills it all. And he is good, and he cannot be any other. He has sworn himself in covenant to be that. So all Elisha has to do is to listen to the voice of the Spirit, to the way that this good God is going to completely meet this woman's need. And so his attitude is without any caution. For a modern evangelical, he scares you spitless. Because he does, I know how you're supposed to answer this woman. You're supposed to say, well, we better pray about this. Got to seek the will of God about your debt. I don't know what God's going to do with that. I, I, I don't know about the slavery of your children because that arises from the debt. You see, it's very obvious you, your, your husband didn't have much faith or he wouldn't have had a loan like this. He didn't believe God, so he had to get himself enslaved to a debtor. Hmm. So there's not much faith in your family. And and he died, and so that's a sort of punishment, isn't it? Yeah. It's probably sin in your life. We'll have to see what God's will is. And you know that's not too far from the truth. See, concerning such issues, a woman in that condition, a loan that needs to be paid that I, I, I don't know how to pay it, my children are being not only affected, they're going off to work for this man for nothing, slaves. Um, do I have to ask what God's will is? I know that's shocking, but I ask, do you have to ask what God's will is? You don't have to seek his will for that which he, by his very being, has said, this is what I want. All Elisha has to do is to listen for the direction as to how this good God is going to do a good thing for this lady. Not waste time asking if it's his will. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? God is putting himself at this lady and our, because it's the eternal word of God, he's putting himself at our disposal. And the questions that are asked are to find the pathway that Elijah knew is there. 
because in God's goodness, the pathway is already there. My faith and my praying doesn't make God be who he is. It brings me into line with who he is. Amen. It doesn't make God. God is good. There is a pathway here, and all Elisha has to do is find it. And he's not going to find it by saying, I'm going to go to my secret prayer room and pray for you, and I'll see you tomorrow. No, he drags the woman into it. He's saying, you and I are going to find the pathway. And even though you don't know very much about what we're talking about, that's beside the point. He's inviting you in, and in being involved in this, you are going to discover a relationship with God that you would never dream possible. What do you want? See, the grace of God, hear me now, the grace of God is not a vague gray cloud that floats across a blue sky. Um, you know, grace, the grace of God, the blessing of God, sort of with me, a fuzzy teddy bear. It's, it's, it's not an undefined feeling of strength. See, I don't know what hit me, but I, I just knew I could handle it. It must be the grace of God. Uh-uh. Well, maybe it was, but it's not what the Bible talks about. Grace is specific. Grace is custom made for the situation that we're talking about. Oh, God bless us today. Huh, what do you want? <laughs> I mean, we, we've just read through every conceivable blessing. Which one were you talking about? What do you want? And it may be you want a certain blessing this morning and you need another blessing this afternoon. Well, let this, what do you want? What, what part of your life right now is crying out for the goodness of God to be made manifest? Because as far as an umbrella, as far as breathing my air, as living my life, I am surrounded at all times by the goodness of God. So something's cropped up here. I need something specific. I I need a custom-made moment to handle this. So what what is it? Do, Do you realize this is so specific that when the need is met, there's no more grace for that? It's custom made for that. Do do you realize that there is no grace for today that you can put in a bank account for tomorrow? You know, do you remember the manna? Manna lasted for one day. And if you tried to get double take, so I've got some for breakfast in the morning, it turned to worms overnight. And you try to use today grace that was given yesterday, all you'll get is a diet of worms. Um, that's not being nasty. It's just that's what God doesn't live in tomorrow's. You can't store up today for tomorrow. That is, he has a one-on-one minute-by-minute relationship with you, giving you grace for now. And if that grace is not accepted and used and lived in, it's gone. 
And that's not being nasty about it. Um, the great beauty of God, he'll handle you in your tomorrows. But um, yes, when you get to tomorrow, you'll be shocked. There's grace for tomorrow that wasn't there yesterday, nor will be there tomorrow. It's today, you know. I, I remember coming over here first time, and of course the 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 drink of England is tea, and we had these big canisters of loose tea, and it's an art of how much to put into the teapot and add the. I came over here, and of course everybody were absolute idiots. They had no clue about that. In fact, they did the unspeakable. They put tea into little bags. And of course, as far as we Brits are concerned, you know where those little bags, why they're little bags, don't you? It's because they swept up the floor of all the bits and pieces and put them in the bags. You got to have a loose tea to see what's in it. And um, so, so, <laughs> so, what 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 does a Brit do when they come over and see little bags? Well, I had a friend who came over and, and totally, I what do you do with a bag? Uh, so filled the jolly pot with all these bags and, and made a disgusting brew, uh, bitter tea, um, because one bag is meant for one cup. You can't use ten cups up in one cup; they have to be used in process, in due process. You see what I'm saying? God's grace comes, and there's enough, always enough, always enough for today, always enough for this hour, always enough for this five minutes. But don't try and stuff the whole lot in all at once. Don't, don't try and live tomorrow today. Don't, don't say, well, I'm anxious about tomorrow. I'll use today's grace for that. No, there's no grace for your anxieties because it's not here yet, you see. Specific. No savings account of grace doesn't what do you want now this is it's not it's not going to be a rush of undefined power no this is going to be very personal and you lady are going to have an input you and i got to sit down and see what grace we need for this moment very very personal you're, you're the grace will address this situation that you're you're going to share this grace will come with a full knowledge of everything that was needed. Your, your need is shaped like the grace that God's going to put into it. So what do you want? What do you want? In the New Testament, it says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Um, so the grace we have takes the shape of the vessel. Right. The grace that I have right now to say what I'm saying, I'll never have that again. And for me, it gets scary if I hear this on tape. If I hear, or God forbid, I see it on video, I feel I can't do that. I, I'm, I'm very serious now. I'm very serious. I, I have this sinking feeling. I can't do that. I, I don't have that vocabulary. I don't have that flow of words. I, I can't do it. And I'm right. That was a grace given, grace expressed, grace over. Yeah. Another kind of grace took over and applied it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I go home, and if I thought of doing this again, I'd be scared spitless. I, I don't know how to do it. 
Okay. Some of you got that, but so lady, what do you have in the house that God can work with in order that he might shower you with blessing? I can, I can hear her, you know, you can read where, where she's at in those opening words. I mean, what do I want? What is this man talking about? I'm a helpless peasant. I'm a woman, good grief. I don't count for anything. I, I came here so you, you can do your God thing. <laughs> I, I, what do I want? Just get me out of this problem. We're not used to this. We are not. I'm not used to this after walking in it for 70 years. I, I'm not. This is it's not the God that America worships. What do you want? God meets us where we are, not where we're supposed to be. Not as a great woman of faith and power. No, as a poor little anonymous peasant woman who's lost her husband with a great debt. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. Okay, that's where we start. He's not going to say, how did you get here? He's not going to say, why did you do that? That's gone. We start right here. This is where, where, we, where you are. Right here is a new beginning. And so this woman, know it or not, she's been drawn into a conference. She's in conference with the Holy Trinity, with Elisha, and here she sits in on the conference. And here's the question on the table. What do you want? What do you have in the house then? What do you have in the house? Anything will do. We're not being mysterious here. It's not some rigid will of God that you've now got to try and find. No, just asking. Anything you can offer. Anything will do. Anything. Well, the trouble is, I don't have anything left. Now, the, the poverty this woman is in comes to show. She says that she's already sold everything. There's nothing in the house. Bare rooms. I don't have anything. Oh, I well, it's worth talking about. But in the kitchen, we've got this little bottle of oil, you know, used for cooking. It's hardly worth mentioning, but I, if you want to know what I've got, that's all I've got. There's nothing in the kitchen to cook, but I do have the little bottle of oil. And any bottle of oil in any kitchen has already been used quite a bit. So you could say, I've got half a bottle of cooking oil left in the kitchen. That's it. I don't have anything else. But just a minute, what on earth? What, what are you talking to me? What's that got to do with my problem? Are you just taunting me? Just, just showing me how little I've got? You're trying to make me say, no, I've got nothing. I mean, what, what, are you, what are you doing? Showing me that I'm penniless? She doesn't know. She doesn't have a, but she's in the conference. So she's in the conference, like it or not. And Elisha hears it in his spirit. The Lord said, that's it. That will work. We can use that. Why? Why didn't God 
just fill her money with diamonds and rubies. I mean, that's what a lot of my charismatic friends say. I'm being very serious here. Because the way we pray sometimes is more devilish than Jesus-ish. God, do you realize that many of our prayers or wishes demean us? I've got this great debt, you see. Well, oh, God, you know, fill my house with $100 bills and let somebody send me all the money I need. No, you, you've, you've been hanging around the wrong kind of people who think that they don't have to go to work and they can sit home and let all the other taxpayers pay their salary. Please don't bring that into Christianity because if you really know Jesus, you'll get out of that stupid hole. God's not in that. He doesn't demean you. He made you to work. He made you to produce. He made you to bless the world with what you've got, not sit there and suck it out of everybody else. Come on. Amen. So, and I didn't just insert that. This, I mean, how many people pray, I want to win the lottery? That, that is, I want all that money and not work for it. Yeah. Oh, I got a good one. Let's pray for the death of all the debt collectors. Blow up the IRS. No. And I am quoting people's prayers right now. Um, No, no, no. He unites with us. He says, we are going to solve this problem. You're not going to sit in the bleachers and watch an explosion out there. We are going to do this together. And whatever you have, whatever you are, doesn't make a bit of difference to me, uh, we'll work together and solve the problem in relationship. And at the end of it, it won't be so much that the problem's solved, but that you will know me as you've never known me before. We want it. It's all you. It's all you. Do what you want and do it miraculously while I watch. God says, no. What shall we do? In the Old Testament especially, this is the way God always worked. He says, give me something of your person. Give me something with your name engraved into it. It's yours. It's an extension of you. And and we can work with that then. See, what is in your house? What's in your house? What is yours? What's, What's in your field? What's in your shop? See, Moses, you're, you're going to go to Egypt. Well, how can I go in there? What can I do in Egypt? He says, what's in your hand? Oh, no, it's stick. That'll do. That'll do. Yeah. Go there. Hold your stick. I'll work. You know. do, do you understand? I'm not being silly here. This, what, what, and then in Deuteronomy, what's he going to bless? Uh, well, you got sheep. That'll do. I'll bless your sheep. I'll bless your curd. You go to the store, I'll bless your basket. You got a kneading boy, you're going to cook, I'll bless the cooking. But it was always, has he got your name on it? The the widow that um, Elijah went to, what have you got? What have you got? 
Well, I just got the enough to bake one pancake, a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. He said, that'll do, that'll do. You'll, we'll eat that for the next three years. That's great. And here he comes. What have you got? Well, I just got nothing. A poor nobody. That'll do, that'll do. Perfect. Bring it to me. If all I've got to offer is a half-used bottle of oil, he said, that's perfectly. Jesus said the same thing. 5,000 people found yes. every man. Well, what do you got? What do you got? Anybody got food? No, no. Said this kid, he's got a few fish sandwiches. That's it. That'll do. That'll do. She had nothing left. What she did have was all used up and sat on the shelf mocking her. <clears throat> for being any use. But that little woman merged with that half-used bottle of oil. The jug became an extension of her. And what happened in the jug was happening inside of her. She was looking beyond the jug to see a pipeline to the invisible, unlimited trinity. I mean, this this makes C.S. Lewis look childish. This is the real Narnia. You, you don't you you don't go through a wardrobe. You say, "How do I find God in this situation?" He's in that little bottle of oil there. <laughs> do you realize that what is going to come out of that bottle of oil is more than could ever be put into it? And in so doing, he's going to put her into business. He's going to be the first investor in her business. And she's going to sell this oil, which in those days was very expensive. Everybody used it. Everybody needed it. It was expensive to sell, to buy oil. Well, I'm going to give you a house full. I'm going to give an ocean of oil for you to sell. We're in business together here. So I'm not only going to bring you out of debt. I'm not only going to rescue your kids from slavery. I'm going to have you, 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 I'm going to give you the dignity of paying your bills. I'm going to not only so, but you'll have enough left over to live on for years to come. The word of the Lord came in a little flask of olive oil that had already been used for cooking in an empty kitchen. If anyone was looking for her assets to see if she could make a loan, they would have walked through and said, there's nothing here. Right. As soon as she said it, Elisha says, go and borrow Every empty container you can find with your neighbors, a gallon jug, a bath, anything that contains anything, go and ask if you could borrow it. And make sure you get every last one from all your neighbors. Are you crazy? You know the end of the story. That's the trouble. Yeah. I mean, are you crazy? <laughs> I feel like a stupid idiot. The thing, I'm losing my mind. 
I'm in debt over my head. And now I've taken up a new hobby of collecting pots. Ridiculous. Silly, absurd. Lady, (laughs) if you knew what we're going to do with those pots, now you're talking crazy. So go and get pots, pots on top of pots. The only limit to God's supply is how many pots you have to put that supply in. Another 500 pots and the oil would have kept on flowing. It was only because she ran out of pots. and That's it. I say again, her poverty needed to have shape. And the answer of God completely filled that shape. She had a hundred pot need. Yeah. When Wesley came yesterday, put his head through the door of our car and said, thus saith the Lord Malcolm, what do you want? Yeah. It's about time all of us heard that question. What, what do you want? Well, the kids went out, and she probably did too. They came back, can you imagine, armfuls of pots, dragging pots, carrying between them pots. And that empty house was soon full. You could hardly move in the house for all the pots on the floor. And the one little (laughs) oil, every pot mocked her poverty. Empty house and empty pots. What are you? Can we get somewhere here? (laughs) And Elisha said, shut the door. Shut the door. Shut the door. You and your two sons. Shut the door. And I'm not coming in. Elisha didn't go in, not even to witness it. He said, lady, you're going to discover God for yourself. You came to me, the man of God. The man of God says, this is what he'll do. But now you go in and shut the door. I'm not coming in. (laughs) I'm not coming in. (laughs) You see, she wasn't going to sit in the bleachers watching God do something through Elisha. She's going to do it. And it's, it's a little thing she did, but in another sense, it's the biggest thing she ever did. This is going to be an intensely personal record of her experience with God's supply. Just her and a little half-filled pot is going to set them straight for years to come. Shut the door. No distractions. There's always that next door neighbor that will want to come in. Shut it and lock the door. You don't need the advice of your neighbor. Nor to debate your neighbor on what you're doing. No questions as to what you're doing. No mocking smiles when you tell them. No discussion. No, don't bring me logic. It doesn't belong in this house. Don't bring me common sense. Shut the door. 
do not consult with everybody in the village's feelings. And believe me, they had them because what on earth is happening with those pots? They see this woman going with all the pots. The village would probably have followed her to find out. Well, stop at the gate, shut the door, and don't tell them your sad story and make it in a pity party. Your story's over. We are now in what God is doing. She's, she knows God and is coming to know God with her own heart and mind, not with her neighbors. She doesn't have a secondhand experience, either with Elisha or with her neighbors. This is going to happen there in her house, just with her, her sons, and the God who is good. Or to put it this way, God is not a gig. He doesn't put on shows. He's not a dog and pony show. And I know people would say, well, to see what God does helps people's faith. That's sometimes true. I'm not going to go there. What I'm saying is that he wants outside of the atmosphere of a great meeting, outside of the touch of the hands of a person we believe is a man or woman of God. Outside of that, you have to have an experience of God with the door locked. It's you and him. It's it's not a show that everyone's going to have a... Shut the door. What has that done to... in Shut the door? That means I'm here in this room with my two sons and the presence of God and we shut the door what does that mean this house has become the holy of holies in the temple the veil shut the door well in this case that little house somewhere in Israel to somebody who's anonymous their house became the holy of holies And you're going to see what is happening inside the Holy Trinity. This is terrifying to the religious flesh. Religious flesh wants to think about it. It's a good idea, but I run it past my feelings, you know. Is there a plan B? What if this doesn't work? What if he changes his mind? Is there another possible option? Do we have a contingency plan? If I empty the bottle and there's a dribble in the bottom of the... No. There's no further word until the first word is fulfilled. You think about that. For some people, God spoke to them 20 years ago, and they've been asking, "What's the, supposing it doesn't work, what do we do? There's not been another word for 20 years, nor will there be another 20 years, because God never speaks after he's spoken. He speaks, this is the way, do it. I'll, I'll do it, but first could we? No, there's no discussion of that. Do it, then you'll get more. I will never forget, because you can hardly imagine these things this this point in time but when i first was in full-time ministry because we didn't have cell phones that's pretty obvious but um you know we didn't have computers 
didn't have television. We just about had radio. And um, it, it meant when I preached a sermon here, this was the only people in the universe who heard it. There was no recording. Tape recorders didn't come along for quite a time. Some people shorthanded, but then that had got to be typed on those great big, um, you know, you, you were pretty safe. I could preach to you. No one else knew it. I can go now to Kerville, Bernie, Helotus, preach the same sermon, and it will be all new because nobody else ever heard it. In fact, I could preach this sermon for the next five years, and no one had ever heard it until I preached it. And that's what many pastors did in those days. And this was very real to me, very real. I had a word from God. I mean, I had a word. And I preached it, you know, special meetings, conventions. It was mine, my word, my blessed word. I wasn't going to give it away. I wasn't going to let anyone else hear it, only in the special places so I could keep on preaching it from here until I died. And the magazine of the denomination said they wanted an article from me. And I knew straight away the only thing I knew to write down was my special. I went through agony. I mean, it sounds stupid now, doesn't it? That right now I'm talking to the whole jolly world. But in those days... And I, I wrestled with it. If I write this down as an article, I can never preach it again. Everybody will read it. It will no longer be mine. I, you don't, I said it's crazy. But I, rem, I can now, right now I can feel what I went through. Until in that abandonment, okay, this is it. My ministry is over, but I'll, I'll write it. And I wrote the article and I put it, as I put that thing in the mail, I had another revelation from God. Unfortunately, I got the message. <laughs> Once you have it, get rid of it. And more and more and more comes. We're, no, we're, God speaks and we hoard it and say, let me, let me think about it. No, no, we use it right away she is some put on an assembly line for this non-stop pouring her sons have got to go and get the container she stands there and she pours and pours and pours and pours and pours and pours and next container pour and pour out of that bottle that only had a little bit in it oh, God. <laughs> i mean that's easy. It's a Bible story. Yeah, you you put yourself. Oh, yeah. Don't don't look at the bottle. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Don't don't weigh it in your hand. Because is there anything in it at all? You know, it's, and maybe you close your eyes as you you pour it. She had to act as if that bottle was a pipeline. Yeah to God's infinite supply of love. But there was no feeling whatsoever. It defied what she saw. But she acted as if. 
See, I say it again. She didn't know that more would come out of that bottle than anyone could ever put into it. And a little bottle. And, and olive oil doesn't run quick. Have you ever thought of that? Yeah. If you've got a whole house full of empty, how long did it take her to fill all of that as just pouring out oil? Maybe went on into the night. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Workout. <laughs> but she did it. And as she did it, Container after container, container, they're filled. And the, the boys put it against the wall and bring the next one in. It was in the pouring that she walked in this everlasting supply. It wasn't having got the logic of it settled, then she poured. No. She poured, and in it, she participated in God's illogical logic. And it happened. She's stepping into a new discovery. She's stepping in where her mind has never imagined. She might as well have been walking on water. It's, well, of course, and I'll be quick, but we live in the New Covenant which means this was only a pointer to what's coming. Yeah. This is a signpost. Yeah. The, the old covenant never completed anything. It was always, it's coming. So this is just a little insight. It's just a, like, like a, a book of ABCs and C is for cat. Um, okay, kindergarten. Well, that's what the Old Testament is. We live in the new covenant. It says it's a better covenant. And you don't find so much of what do you have in the house. We have a lot now of what's inside of you. Yeah. As I said, you are called an earthen vessel. You are called a little bottle that they put oil in. That's you. He says, what do you have? And I don't, I don't have anything. I'm no good. I'm not worthy. I can't. I can't. I am not. I am not. He says, that will do. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. You're coming into a new dimension of this partnership with and in Christ. Yeah. It's no longer an inanimate object that becomes an extension of you, but it's you, the totality of you, become the means of grace. Look, your mind receives the mind of Christ. So what do you have? Well, oh, not much education. That's okay. That'll do. Give me your mind. I'll put my mind inside of it, you see. What do you, what, what do you have? My imagination, but the church told me I'm not supposed to use that. That'll do. I'll, put, I, I'll give you my imagination that you will see what I see. That's it, you see. Well, I'm not much of a speaker. I, I, I really can't speak. I, I don't know how to speak. Well, that's great. Nor did Moses. And... Um, <laughs> You know, that'll work. That'll work. I'll put my words in your mouth. Yeah. Well, and well, got a pair of hands? Well, I've never done that. that. That's for only the men of God, the holy people. They lay hands on people. 
Yeah, that's what the daft religious do believe, isn't it? But give me your hands. Lay them hands on sick. Let my comfort, let my strength, let my healing flow through your hands. That'll do your hands, you see. You're an empty vessel, if you want to use that in earthen But you are a treasure in the earthen vessel. And while you're doing it, you don't have a clue what you're doing. And I'm being very personal here. Yeah. It's our limited mind and our limited feeling cannot, it's impossible to feel the infinite. What, what is finite? What is it? You know, finite is something that can be measured. I am finite. I am limited to being six feet tall. That's my finity, six feet tall. I weigh, and whatever I weigh is my limit. I'm neither less than that nor more of that. That's my, I'm limited. I could keep going. I live in a house that is so many square feet. That's its finity. And that we, we're used to that. So we think of going there. That's a finite distance. It's got a beginning and an end. I am finite. I can do this. I can't do that. Infinite means there's no limit. There's no dimension. Neither start nor finish. Then how, how do I measure that? How do I feel it? I... I can feel this Bible because it's so many pounds. It's got a limitation. I feel it. I weigh it. But if something isn't limited, then there's no poundage to tell me this is its finity. So I can't feel it. If there's no length and beginnings and... Do you realize what I'm saying? When you are in the middle of what God is doing, you neither see it nor feel it. And my finite mind says, that's stupid. If you can't feel it, it's not there. I think some of you have got what I'm talking about. That we are finite beings, but we are in the hands of, and we are the pipelines of the infinite God. And therefore, most of the time, we don't feel what's coming through us. If I can be terribly personal, and this can be obnoxious, but um, in, in the office over there, there, there's a picture of me as a newborn baby. And Cindy put that up there on the wall. And there's a picture coming up in a few minutes um, where she's pointing at this little newborn baby. And I have thought through that finite baby, the infinity of God has flowed. And yet I felt the whole time like a very normal human being. I had no idea. And it's actually taken the 70 years of ministry for people to write in and say, and you begin to realize that came through me, that came through me. I can't handle that. You know, it's, but see, the truth is that's true of all of you. Yes. And I mean it. It's true of all of you. It's true of all of you. 
And in some cases, I have heard how it's true of you, and you may not have heard it, and therefore, to you, you just bead you. That's the point. That's it. Be you. And through that little bottle of oil, there flows more than coming out of you is more than ever be put into you. Yeah. And so empty pots, we walk into our day. But what is in us is more than can ever be put into us. But we don't feel. We don't see many times. And all we feel is our limitedness. But out of you, said Jesus, shall flow rivers of living water. And that's the life water of God, who is love, light, and waters. That's from Ezekiel 47, the the living waters, that wherever it touches, life comes, trees grow. Well, it says it's coming out of you. But the truth is, if we knew what was coming out of us, we'd get proud about it. And so half the time he doesn't let us know until long afterward. And then, Anyway, there it is. Father, we give you thanks for the great salvation that we live and move and walk in. And open the eyes of our understanding to see the enormity of Christ literally in us, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Amen.